Welcome to It's a Good Life, the podcast for entrepreneurs, where it's all about growing yourself and your business. Here's your host, founder of America's largest business coaching company, Brian Buffini. Welcome to today's episode, How to Say No and Smile. Warren Buffett says, the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. Many of us do have the disease to please, and many of us overestimate our capacity while underestimating our current obligations. I'm going to share three concepts with you today that will allow you to say no and smile. So the three concepts are the disease to please, every yes is a no, and the benefits of no. So let's talk about the disease to please. And the first point I'd make in that is that it is more important to be respected than liked, especially in business. You know, so many people struggle when family and friends or even past customers don't do business with them again or don't do business with them at all. And they like you. And maybe they even trust you as a person. But trust is made up of that character and competence. And if we're just focused on getting people to like me, you remember that Sally Field speech when she won the Oscar? She receives the Oscar. She runs down. She's overcome with emotion. And what does the Oscar mean to her? She goes, they like me. They really, really like me. Now, the thing that was wild about that Oscar speech is that she was speaking to an audience full of people pleasers. So they all understood. I know all about people pleasing. I am one. And what I would say, I'm a reforming people pleaser. I've reformed in areas and I'm still reforming in others. When I was in sales in real estate, for example, I used to really want my clients to like me. You know, it was important to me to be well thought of. And that's probably family of origin stuff. You know, when we played golf growing up as kids, we were constantly looking over our shoulders because our dad was just mortified at the prospect that we'd ever hold anybody up. Well, you end up being more concerned about everybody else than you are yourself. You sometimes forget to play golf. You're just more interested in it. And I remember when my first couple of kids came on the scene and they were old enough to play golf and we'd go out and play and there'd be other people on the course. I don't know how much they enjoyed it because I was constantly rushing them so we wouldn't hold anybody up. So, you know, it goes deep. What I found about people pleasing in business, like I say, in my early real estate career, sometimes I would cut my commissions or fees to please somebody. They were having a hard time. I'll help out. And no matter how difficult the transaction was or whatever happened in the end, what I noticed later on, because I kept in touch with my clients and I built relationships, is A, they almost never remembered it. And the only time they did remember it was when they referred me to somebody because they wanted to go to great lengths on what a deal they got. And I thought, what am I doing here? And what I found is when I was people-pleasing other people, I wasn't pleasing myself. And so that's not a great spot to be in. Uh, sometimes, as again, a younger agent, I would avoid sharing bad news or disappointing news with a client. Eventually, as a pro, you, you go through those experiences. And I'd be on an appointment and the client would have an expectation that their house was be worth X and I knew it was worth Y. And I'd look them straight in the eye and said, I'd rather disappoint you tonight than let you down six months from now. What I found is that when I delivered the difficult things and, and had the hard conversations with my clients, they actually respected me more than their peers. Or they'd had someone on an appointment an hour before me who told them all the things they thought they wanted to hear. And I came in and shared with them very little of what they wanted to hear, except I think I can get you to the outcome you're really looking for, but here's the reality of the situation. 
tough markets or changing markets, high interest rates, foreclosure markets, whatever it was, people wanted somebody to trust. And so what I found is that whole dynamic of being respected is more important than being liked. Psychologist and author Virginia Sater, she actually coined the phrase people pleaser. And she said, a people pleaser often feels that they have no value except for what they can do or be for another person. Now, we're going to talk about value later on, but never a truer word was spoken than that. A YouGov did a survey and said half of Americans identify themselves as people pleasers, and the majority people please by avoiding conflict or putting others' needs first. And again, in service, you put other people's needs first, but you can't suppress your own needs. And if you continually do it and don't have your needs met, eventually people-pleasers become resentful. So that's no good at all. Baseball player Jackie Robinson said, I'm not concerned with being liked or disliked. I am concerned with being respected. And that man had to bear the incredible burden of being the first African-American in the Major League Baseball, and he encountered all kinds of bigotry and difficulties. But he said, okay, his desire, like everybody else, was to be liked. But he said, I'm not concerned with that anymore. I'm all about being respected because those who are going to come after me need to be respected. The second part of this is that no one can do it but me. You know, the graveyard is full of people like that. Oh, the place will fall down without me. No one can do it but me. No one can do it like me. You know, sometimes that's good. I found out when I started hiring different people in different spots that they didn't do it like me. They did it better. And I brought in more talent and people who were really skilled at something I might be mediocre at. Now, because I'm mediocre at it, I know how to do it, and it gives you that comfort and gives you that control. But when you delegate and empower somebody who's more talented or skilled, or their wiring, their real strengths, if you will, are different than yours, man, you get something so much better. You know, I always talk about my mom in these fantastic terms, and I've told this story once before, but my mom found her identity in cooking. She loved cooking for her family. So when you were eating breakfast, she would just look at your face to see if you're enjoying it. And before you finished your breakfast, she would talk about what she was doing for lunch. And before you would finish lunch, she'd be talking about dinner. And then in between, will you have a cup of tea and a scone? And so especially when our boys came home from America, that was the case. But she always had this phrase, just once, just once, Brian, I'd love to have a meal handed to me. I'm always cooking. I'm always in here. But just once, I'd love to have a meal handed to me. Let me say this. On many, 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 many occasions, I had a meal. Either we cooked for mom or we brought her out to eat and brought her to great restaurants. And for years and years and years, she goes, what's that? What's that? That smells a bit fishy. What's that? Is that eh, not really big on this now? Ah, that's too sweet. And all the talk about, I just want to have a meal handed to me. The truth of the matter is no one can do it but me. That was Therese. When we get to that place, it's part of the disease to please. And it's ultimate. That's, that's the one that burns you out more than anything. Andrew Carnegie said, no person will make a great business who wants to do it all by himself or take all the credit. Richard Branson, another great entrepreneur, said, if you really want to grow as an entrepreneur, you've got to learn to delegate. And my favorite author, Brian Buffini, said, no one can do it like me, and maybe that's a good thing. The third part of the disease to please is actually a little tip, and that is to practice care frontation. When YouGov did the survey that said half of Americans identify as people pleasers and the way they practice it is by avoiding conflict, we got to get into what I call care frontation, which is we got to have the difficult conversations, but hopefully most of the time we can have them graciously. 
I have a lot of gracious ones. And sure, sometimes things get personal, sometimes things get difficult, and sometimes it doesn't go well. And that's called life. A book I highly recommend is called Crucial Conversations. And this book has sold millions of copies. In fact, it's become a big training company, Crucial Conversations. In Buffini Company, we have our own internal training department for our staff, run by a 23-year vet of Buffco called Cheryl Wolf. Cheryl used to be the head of our coaching department, and now she runs this internal training division. She's actually brought the Crucial Conversation team in to do a training for our entire staff. And it's very, very important, especially in our coaching. And the coaches, they are fantastic at these care confrontations where they really get to know the client they're coaching. They really get to know who they are and what motivates them. And when somebody's getting stuck or when somebody has a blind spot, they just are brilliant at bringing it to a conclusion and bringing it to light without tearing a person down or making them feel less. In fact, they kind of empower them. And that's why it's not a confrontation. It's a care confrontation. And that crucial conversations, if you struggle with confrontation, both the doing and the receiving, uh, I highly recommend that crucial conversation book. It's, it's been a game changer for our staff and especially our coaching staff. John Maxwell says, uh, conflict is like cancer. Early detection increases the possibility of a healthy outcome. Sylvester McNutt said, avoiding conflict is conflict. And then another author, Dr. Friedman Schaub said, conflict avoidance doesn't improve relationships it creates a sense of resentment. And that's ultimately what the disease to please does. And so we don't want that. We don't want to live, we want to live the good life. And resentment can't be a big part of the good life. It can be a momentary feeling. It can be a sense of things, but it just can't be something that sits with you. That is not the good life. So let's get into kind of the nuts and bolts here of what Mr. Buffett was saying, right? That the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no to almost everything. Well, We've had thousands of people come and take a tour of Buffini Company in our headquarters and have come by the studio here. If you make an appointment, you're always welcome. And if you go into my office, what you'll see is I have this Warren Buffett quote. I actually have it on a placard in front of my face because I have demands like no other. I have demands on my schedule that don't quit. For example, I might get three to 4,000 speaking requests a year. So for example, this particular year, I've had thousands of requests. I accepted one which was the Entree Leadership Conference in Tennessee. That's the only non-Buffini company event I'm doing this year. So that means our organization has to say no to thousands of people. Now, the good news is we have a speakers bureau and we have a faculty of phenomenal presenters at Buffini Company. You've met many of them, whether it's Bill Hampton on marketing and how to move the needle, whether it's Jamie Nowak on really how to do the fundamentals, or whether it's uh, my brother Kevin Buffini on Real Strengths, Rachel Yeaman, you've heard her on a number of podcasts with real strengths. Dave McGee, the head of the coaching department, does a great job. So we do our best to have these great subject matter experts go out and do these presentations, but it means we have to say no to a lot of things. And here's why. The first sub-point is when you say yes to something, it means something else can't happen. One of the reasons why companies, organizations, and governments especially become bloated with bureaucracy is that a new bill gets passed, a new law gets passed, a new initiative gets passed, and it's just dumped on top of the other one. And I really like to look as much as I can at saying, okay, we're going to do this new one thing. What one thing are we going to take away? And it's hard. It's hard because in a company, especially like we have 250 employees, it means somebody's been doing a job every day. That's the one thing you're probably going to take away. Now, you're probably going to replace it in such a way that that person's still working, but people find their identity in it. They find their comfort in it. So it's very hard to stop people doing what we always did. 
It's the same in your business. It's the same in everyone's business. So when you say yes to one thing, you've got to be looking for something you say no to that you're already saying yes to. Uh, Derek Sivers said, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. I mean, that, that's a pretty good concept. If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. My brother Dermot and I will do brainstorming sessions before we get together with the board. Dermot's the CEO, I'm the chairman, and we'll throw around all kinds of ideas. The bottom line is, if it's not a hell yes, we don't bring it to the board. And if the board doesn't run through and go with it, we don't bring it to the organization. So it's just a great phrase, and I, I think it's a good quote. Kathleen Hall said, in every single thing you do, you're choosing a direction. Your life is a product of choices. Author Annie Lamont said, no is a complete sentence. William Wrigley, who was the Wrigley Chewing Gum Baron, said, a few yes men may be born, but mostly they are made. Fear is the greatest breeder of them all. Wow. There's a reason why some of these hugely successful people have great quotes, right? So most of the yes men are made, okay? And fear is what breeds it. Tony Blair, former PM in England, said, the art of leadership is saying no. It's just very easy to say yes. So yes to one thing means no to something else. Second sub point would be overwhelming your schedule. Overwhelming your schedule. Again, I always mention the books I've read, the people who've invested in me. I'm a product of many mentors. Some I knew and some I knew like this. Many of you will never get to meet me and I'll never get to meet you, but you tune into the Good Life podcast every week. And it's a privilege and it's an honor to help you and serve you. Well, I had one that I met. His name was Dr. Alex Lackey. It was very early on. And he was in the who's who as the most organized man in America. And he helped me transform my schedule. Now, I don't have all the time to go into that, but this, I did a recording with Dr. Alex Lackey in 1996, and it was on a cassette tape. And it had a part one and a part two. And years later, you know, whatever, 20 some years later, when we started the podcast, we actually re-edited those two interviews with Dr. Alex Lackey, a brilliant, brilliant man, Lord of mercy on him, changed my life. Harvey McKay, who's spoken at our mastermind, someone said no one ever went broke because he or she said no too often. Stephen Covey said, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. I live by that. Annie Dillard, a schedule defends from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. Love it. Paulo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist, said, Life has many ways of testing a person's will, either by having nothing happen at all or by having everything happen all at once. Isn't that so true? And again, if you're in binge listening mode and you happen to catch it at that time or you're checking out the itsagoodlife.com and you want to see some great past episodes we have there, Rick Pasteur was season two, episode 11, and he was brilliant on the subject of calendar. Really great how-tos, a lot of practical stuff. So every yes is a no says a yes to one thing means something else can't happen. We overwhelm our schedule. And then the last part is we overwhelm our life. Well, I know a little bit about this, right? I feel like I'm at least somewhat aware of this. I have a bride of 33 years. I have six kids, three grandkids. I have uh, six competition horses uh, with a daughter who's trying to make the Olympics and who's currently representing the U.S. in the World Cup. I have kids playing in college sports as we speak. I have kids who are uh, coaches, so I have a chance to go to their games. My bride helps out with the coaching on a couple of teams. There's travel. There's my business. There's the schedule. There's all the daily routines of workouts and 
all the different things for the daily routine, the cold shower and the meditation and the whatever. And it's just really easy to overcommit your life. And this has to be constantly looked at as, as my life has changed. You know, this is a constant redo. Beverly and I get away. I've talked about this many times for a, for a couple of days every year to do a big planning. And then once a month we meet for a kind of a revisit. How are things going? What's going on? And how do we need to readjust the plan? A study by Vital Smarts says there's an overcommitment epidemic. Three out of five people they surveyed said they can't possibly get everything done on their to-do list. David Allen, who we've had at our events as well, wrote Getting Things Done. He said you can do anything, but not everything. Leadership coach uh, Lolly Daskal says overcommitting is the biggest mistake that people make against living a simpler life. So if you want that lower stress, simpler life, overcommitting is the disaster. So we have to learn to say no and smile. We have to do that. Robert Chu says, sometimes you just need to be selfish and take care of you. If they love you, they'll understand. Now, I got to tell you, he is so right. And I just have a hard time. It was ingrained in me about service to others. And I have a hard time swallowing the concept of being selfish. But I tell you what I ultimately got to is that without self-care, I wasn't able to serve anybody. And so I had to prioritize my schedule and make commitments on my schedule because if I don't do the things I need to do, I get stiff, I get heavy, I get grumpy, I get less creative, and I have less energy. Other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Confucius said, keep it simple and focus on what matters. Don't let yourself be overwhelmed. For me, Dr. Lackey taught me how to prioritize my schedule. And he said, break it down in A, B, Cs. So the A's are those crucial, important things on your calendar. And then he said, break them into A1, A2, A3, B1, B2, B3, C1, C2, C3. And what Dr. Lackey taught me was success. And the more successful you became, you will have more and more things on your to-do list you don't get to. But if you got half of an A1 done in a day, you had a great day. If you get 20 C's done, like cleaning your desk or whatever else, you may not have had a great day. So listen to Dr. Lackey. He'll help. We know what we're trying to do. We're trying to make sure that we say yes to one thing. We got to take something else off the plate. We don't want to overwhelm our schedule. We don't want to overcommit our life. Here's the third and last part of this, which is the benefits of no. This is what I sell you on practicing this. Learning how to say no and smile. First of all, it means you value yourself. When you learn to say no and smile, it means you value yourself. And it's like, try it. Like if you're listening, if you're out for a walk or a jog or working out or in your car, just say the word no and smile. It changes everything. Just try it. Make your smile happen. No. No, no, no. Like the head shake is a great one. No, no, I, I won't be able to do that. Okay. And uh, I get this all the time. For example, I get all these requests. Oh, can I meet for lunch? Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you be on this board? Can you be on this fundraising committee? And the truth of the matter is I tell them the truth. And that is, I am just so overcommitted. When they ask me, I'll just kind of shake my head and smile. Say, just so you know, I am just overcommitted at this time. I'm looking to take things off my schedule. Now, on occasion, something will come across and I go, okay, you know what? I'm overcommitted at this time, but I'm going to take a good long look at it. Something has to come off my schedule in order to me, for me to do this. So let me take a good hard look at it. And I genuinely do. I, I get hundreds of requests per quarter for charitable giving. And we have a foundation and we give. And I'm, you know, I have a desire to give. I love to give. I love to see what it does. And I'm a little bit of a people pleaser. So people ask all the time. So finally, I said, I had to do something about this because I can't say yes to everything. I just, I'm not Bill Gates. And even Bill Gates can't say yes to everything. 
So what I did is I formed a, a little committee with a criteria. Okay, what is it we're really passionate about giving to and so on and so forth? So when the requests come in, I have this group that meets. I meet with them once a quarter. They meet once a month, and they kind of go through the requests. And we reply to them all. And if you've ever requested for giving and, and you got a nice letter from us, it was just because it didn't meet the criteria. And we have to say no to something because we can't say yes to everything. Here's the second thing about the benefits of no. So some great quotes on it means you value yourself. Cicero said, you will be as much value to others as you have been to yourself. Rhonda Britton says, if you value yourself, you understand that you're a gift to anyone you meet. Yogi Singh said, the moment you value yourself, the whole world values you. Very, very important. The second part to that is it allows you to control your energy, right? When you say no and smile, it allows you to control your energy. Ben Franklin said, energy and persistence conquer all things. So you're able to say no to things. So I'll give you an example. I said no to doing two episodes a week to the podcast. Now I had people go, oh, I really miss it and so on and so forth. That's why for people who really want more podcasts, go to itsagoodlife.com. We have them chronicled for you. I'm always recommending podcasts you can listen to. But here's what it allowed me to do. When I said no, and I said no to my marketing team, promotion team, I said no to the It's a Good Life team. We have 10 people now working in It's a Good Life. They thought that meant the show was going to go down. Here's what it's allowed me to do. It's allowed me to be more creative, more prepared. I'm getting a lot more mail and email, a lot more referrals. And we are hearing from people over and over, this one was great. That was your best ever. Boy, the content's really taken another step up. That was because I said no. Oh, by the way, what happened to the number? To start the year, we've doubled our audience. Now, we've been at this a while, but we've doubled our audience. Now, the marketing guys are doing great. You guys do a great job of referring us. And we're doing now better with the content. So guess what? More is not always better. Sometimes better is just better. So I said no and smiled to my team and said, I'm going to do better episodes. And the podcast has jumped, doubled in its seventh year. It's doubled this year. Ben Franklin said, energy and persistence conquer all things. Harv Ecker said, whenever attention goes, energy flows and results show. This is what we want to do. We want to unleash that energy. Your energy is a valuable resource. Distribute it wisely, said Jay Samet. It means you value yourself. It allows you to control your energy. And it creates a more definitive person. And again, we're going to say no and smile. We're not going to be jack wagons. But when Steve Jobs says focusing is about saying no, it means no to this, no to that means I'm doing this. Paulo Coelho again said, when you're saying yes to others, make sure you're not saying no to yourself. And then Henry Kissinger said, there cannot be a stressful crisis next week. My schedule is already too full. Love that one. It means you value yourself. It allows you to control your energy. It creates a more definitive person. Just so you know, our coaches can help you do this. Our coaches can help you with care confrontations. They can help you value yourself across the board. People, in, no matter what industry they're in, end up charging more for their services, uh, being able to present their products better. We can help you with this. Go get one of those free business consultations. We can help you with your time management and your schedule. We can help you with carefrontations. We can help you with value in yourself. And we can help you with saying no and smiling. So I definitely would check that out. Go to itsagoodlife.com. Click on one of those free business evaluations. And one of our crack staff will sit down with you and walk you through this stuff and help you show how you can take your business and your life to the next level. So I hope you enjoyed this today. We talked about how to say no and smile. We covered the disease to please. Every yes is a no and the benefits of no. And someone who has had the desire to please and serve her whole life, that Therese Buffini. Well, here she is now with a great Irish blessing. 
to bless all of you and thank all of you for being listeners to this program. May the road rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.